Well, good morning. Welcome to Vertical Life Church. It's awesome to see you all here today. Um, We just have a couple of quick announcements uh, coming up. Some things relatively quickly on December the 7th. We've been talking about the candle walk. This is a time where Clio shuts down the center of town and, and different businesses have different displays. They like the sidewalks with candles and it's just a time for the community to come out and celebrate the holidays together. At uh, Callahan's Tax Service, we'll be putting up a table for Vertical Life Church. And so if you're interested in in helping with that, to to meet people, pass out invitations to our church, and uh, and be there to help serve hot chocolate, then uh, definitely see myself. Um, After the service, we'll get you connected with the team there. That'll be um, an exciting time. Uh, The next day, December the 8th, is our food giveaway. We're partnering with uh, the Cloud Ministerial Association to bring a food truck from the food bank to the area for those who are in need. And uh, we're in need of two things, people to serve at the food truck, to to pass the food out, prepare and pass it out to the people in line. And then secondly, if you're in need of food, to come get some. So uh, it it depends on, on where you're at. So if you're interested in helping, there is a little training that you have to do online. Um, I can get you connected with that if you're interested, so please see me after the service, and uh, I'll get your contact information to get you set up with that, but that is on the 8th of December. And then uh, some exciting things coming up in January, January the 8th, it's a Tuesday, we are launching the full, um, as full as it can be at this point, a Celebrate Recovery program. We were doing step studies like our small groups, but now we're going to have just the general meetings. It's going to be at New Covenant Church, Tuesday evenings, I believe it was around 7 o'clock. We'll get final details on that for you as it gets closer, but that's exciting as we've been kind of working towards that. And then also our small groups, we call life groups. These are in-home, just times of uh, fellowship, uh, Bible study, prayer, uh, for the church to get together and really be the church. That's starting January the 9th, and uh, the location is to be determined. But if you're interested in being part of our small groups, this is where relationship happens. This is where you get connected, and you, you make friendships for life. It's where you can see God really work and move in your relationship with the Lord. Just outside should be a registration um, list. Uh, Chris Callahan will be there to to give you any information that you need. We need you to sign up. And the reason why I say that is because typically nobody in our church likes to sign up for anything. And so we we have a hard time planning and preparing. We need to to have you sign up or register if you're interested in coming so we can uh, find a location that will be suitable for the amount of people. If we have just a handful of people, then, then we already have the spot picked out. But if we have 10 to 15 or a little larger, we may have to look at a secondary location. So please, please, please sign up. Uh, it'll be worth it. We're going to start off by um, coming together and discussing um, just some stuff together as a church in the new year that pertains to the sermon series we're going to be doing beginning in January. So it should be fun. 
and uh, I know that you'll be blessed. I know that every life group that I've been a part of has made a huge impact, whether it's been uh, focused on marriage or just the Holy Spirit or any particular area. Anytime we've come together as the church and prayed together and studied God's Word together, it's made a lasting impact and has deepened friendships. So I definitely encourage each one to uh, take advantage of that. Uh, We're going to pray, and then we're going to get right into the message. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and grace. And just as uh, my wife said earlier, thank you for sending Jesus into the world. God, without the Lord, we'd be lost, we'd be hopeless. We wouldn't know purpose or meaning. Father, thank you so much for that great gift that you gave us. And I just pray that as we come together this season, Lord, we wouldn't miss out on what you have in store for us. So, Lord, fill us now with your spirit. God, fill this room with your presence. I pray, God, even now that you would just descend on us, God, and draw us into your heart. Open our ears and our minds and help us to prepare for what you have in store for us today. And I pray that you would do a mighty work in this place. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, again, welcome. Uh, This is an exciting thing, an exciting time, because the Christmas season is now upon us. I don't know if you get juiced about Christmas like I do. When I was younger, I didn't really care so much for the lights and the music, but now, especially as as a father, I kind of get overexcited about the Christmas season, hence the ugly Christmas shirt I'm wearing today. Um, I've been actually wearing this more often. Uh, We have even in our home, began to celebrate Christmas a little early, and I know some of you will unfriend me on Facebook for telling you this, but we did put our Christmas tree out before Thanksgiving this year. I know a lot of people have a problem with that, but here's the deal. We were discussing in our house, my wife and I, we were discussing that why does fall or fall decorations get two months and Christmas only gets one month? I mean, nothing really amazing happens in fall, except the lions get to lose on Thanksgiving, right? Nothing really amazing happens in fall, but Jesus is born in December, right? So that, that's huge. That, that's, that's exciting. And so we wanted to give God a little more time. So we split the difference a little bit, put our tree up before Thanksgiving, got our lights out, and, and uh, even bought new Christmas jammies, and we've been listening to Christmas music and watching uh, Christmas movies ever since. And so it's just kind of taken over. Um, but this day, Christmas Day, is not just any other day. It's not just any other day in our calendar. It wasn't just any other day in history. But this time of year, more than any other, it has a way of opening people up to the things of God. And even just as we begin to hear the music, see the decorations, it's like this this sense of, I don't know, they call it the spirit of Christmas, but it's this feeling that we get that just kind of overwhelms and, and overcomes us, fills us with joy, and it opens us up. It provides opportunity for God to work miracles in our lives. But this one day, this day is significant because it marks one of the most significant days in all of human history, the day Jesus came into the world. It is a day that is riddled with miracles and promises of God fulfilled. It it is an, an, an amazing and impactful day, and it's easy to take it for granted. But something I want you to think about this morning is think about what Christmas actually means. Think about 
Jesus coming into the world, like literally the fullness of God wrapped up in a tiny little baby. I mean, the earth is pretty big, right? The world is a big world. I mean, if you ever get on an airplane and travel overseas, it's like if you feel like you're never going to get off the thing, right? Seven hours, eight hours, ten hours. The world is a big place, yet we have planets around our planet that makes the earth seem small. Matter of fact, if you compare the earth to the sun, the earth looks like a freckle in, in outer space. The sun is huge. And if you continue to look through the Hubble telescope and look at what we've discovered, even just from the technology we have available today, there are stars in the universe, the known universe, that make our sun look like a little tiny speck. The, the earth, the, the universe, everything is massive and reveals the massive nature of God, the very power of God, and yet the fullness of the one who spoke it all into existence, who holds it all in the palm of his hand, was contained in a little tiny baby. Does that not just blow your mind? That God came into the world. Yes, Christmas is a day like no other. But even though we're now in December, before we can get to Christmas, we can't just skip all the other 24 days of the month and jump right to Christmas. And if you open the Bible and start in the New Testament and you begin to read about the life of Christ, you can't just skip right to his birth, right? There are things that happen leading up to the birth of Christ. There's a a journey that takes place in the narrative of Scripture before Jesus is born. It does, the story of Christmas doesn't just start with the birth of Christ. It actually starts with the birth of another guy, and his name was John. Somebody say John. John. John was the cousin of Jesus. Matter of fact, his birth was also miraculous. Often we just think about the virgin birth of Christ, but John's birth was miraculous. His parents were up in age. They were beyond the childbearing years. They were old enough to just, you know, decide, well, this was our lot in life. God didn't intend for us to have a child. And matter of fact, John's father, Zechariah, if you begin reading in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is a a priest, and he's doing his duty in the temple, as was his custom. They, They choose a man from the priestly line every year to go in and do specific tasks for the people. And so he's in there offering the sacrifices for for the people before the Lord. And the angel of God comes and tells him, Zechariah, you're going to bear a son. You and your wife are going to conceive. And he kind of scoffs at the angel. I mean, first off, it's like an angel of God just appears, glory, everything. And you're like, you're going to doubt what this guy is saying? You know, it just blows my mind. But his faith was kind of weak because he had struggled with this concept that we desired to have a child, but yet no child would ever come. And he just kind of settled into this belief that it wasn't going to happen. So even at the presence of an angel of God who stands before the glory of God, speaking for God, says, you're going to have this son, he doubts. He says, okay, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And so what the angel does is says, you know, since you didn't believe, I'm going to make you mute. You're not going to be able to speak until the day your son is born. But when he's born, you're going to call him John. You're going to name him John, which was unusual in this culture because they didn't have a family member named John. And typically you name uh, a child after someone within the family. But the angel specifically said, name this child 
John. And any time in the Bible somebody is given a name or God says specifically, name this child this, or your name shall be called, it's important to look at or research the meaning because it will tell you something. When God names somebody in the Bible, names were significant. It reveals not only maybe God's plan or will for that person, but it reveals what God has done in order to bring about this child into the world. And the name of John simply means Jehovah is gracious. Jehovah is gracious, or God has shown favor, depending on your translation. So this was John. John is brought into the world through a supernatural means. A man and a woman beyond childbearing years are given this child, and they name him John because God was being gracious. And he wasn't just being gracious to this old couple, but he was being gracious to the nation of Israel and even to the world. Because if John hadn't been born, Jesus could not have come. If John hadn't been born, the Messiah could not have come. And there's prophetic revelation or implication for that. And John was a gift to the nation of Israel because not only was he the forerunner or the one that would come before the Messiah, but he grew up to be a great prophet of God. So great that Jesus said this about him in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus, talking about John or John the Baptist... He says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Think about that statement. Here we are in the nation of Israel, a nation that was built on the patriarchs. There were men that were revered in history in the nation of Israel because of what God did in their lives. Have you heard the name Abraham? Right? Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. He was the one that started it all. God used Abraham to begin their whole story. And so here Jesus is looking and talking about John the Baptist and saying there's no one greater. That's a huge statement. You mean there's no one greater than Abraham? Right? Abraham had a son, and his son had another son. And if you look at the history and you look at how people refer to God in the Old Testament, they don't refer to God as the God of John the Baptist. They refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So this is how the nation of Israel referred to God. They referred to the God of their fathers. But yet here Jesus said he is greater than even them. That's huge. That's huge in this this culture and in this time. We have great prophets like Moses who brought the nation out of Egypt and, and helped usher them into the covenant and into the promised land. You mean John is greater than Moses? This man had a significant ministry, life, and purpose. And imagine the honor for the Lord himself to say there is no one greater who has ever lived. I pray that maybe God one day could say that about me. John was a mighty prophet, and he received the privilege of even baptizing Jesus himself in his life. And he was no ordinary prophet. He wasn't just another prophet among the list. And the religious leaders took notice of this. If you read the story through the Gospels, there was a day where they came up and they asked John, like, John, who are you? there's something weird about it. This is not a typical ministry. You're not just a typical teacher. You're kind of off. Not only did he have a weird sense of fashion, but his ministry was very unique. And so they came up to him and they said, John, who are you? 
They took notice. They wanted to know who he was. And in John chapter 1, verse 23, John responds to these religious leaders who are asking about who he was, what his true identity was. And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, quoting from the Old Testament. He says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. I am a voice. So he quotes this Old Testament prophecy, and he reveals by quoting this prophetic word from Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, in which the prophet Isaiah revealed there would be one who would come before the Messiah, before the Lord would arrive, that John indeed was that prophet. He was what theologians call the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And if you go back to Isaiah 40, and you read this prophetic word, you'll see what the message of this forerunner was going to be for the nation of Israel, and we know also would apply to the world. In Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5, here's what the prophet writes. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So John is this foretold forerunner, the prophetic voice to sent to prepare the people to receive the Messiah. This was his ministry, to, to prepare this nation for the one who they were trusting and believing and hoping would come. And not only would he have the prophetic ministry to prepare for the Messiah's coming, but through the prophet Malachi, we also read more detail about the power and purpose and intent of his prophetic ministry. In Malachi verse four, chapter 4, verse 5, the prophet Malachi says this about the forerunner. He says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. This is why the religious leaders of John's day were asking, who are you? Because they knew that they were, there was a promise that Elijah would come, that before the Messiah would come and set up the kingdom and, and once and for all put an end to Israel's armies and set up the eternal kingdom of God, that God would send Elijah back. And this is why they were saying, who are you, John? Because he was this prophetic voice. Elijah was one of the only people in history to have never tasted death. God took him before he died in a chariot of fire. And so they were looking for the return of Elijah. And when they asked John, John, are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? John said, no, I'm not Elijah, but I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. And the reason why John tells them I'm not Elijah is because he was not Elijah returned or reincarnated. He was John. He was the favor of God in the flesh. He points to the prophetic ministry of Elijah, not Elijah himself. And we know John is the fulfillment of Elijah because of what Jesus says about him. Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven fourteen, if you're willing to accept what I say, he, referring to John, is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. So John is not Elijah returned. John has come in the spirit of Elijah. 
And what would Elijah do when he was there? And we continue to read in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. This is something very important as we're keying in on John's ministry today and leading up to the birth of Christ. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, the prophet Malachi reveals this about Elijah's ministry. He says, His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a what? With a curse. Elijah, this forerunner prophet, has to come. If he doesn't come and, and do this work, I will strike the land with the curse. This is what the ministry of Elijah, this forerunner prophet, would do in the earth. He'll be sent to prepare the people for the Messiah. And then look at what the angel, as we kind of connect the dots together, says about John in Luke 1, 17, as we're putting these clues together about who John is. In Luke 1, 17, the angel tells Zechariah, he'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts to the fathers, to their children, and will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So as, as we're questioning maybe, is John really this Elijah? We see from not only the prophet Malachi, but also the Lord Jesus, now even the angel, the same ministry foretold of this Elijah prophet is the same ministry foretold of John and confirmed that even before John was born, that he'd be anointed with this mantle of Elijah's ministry, gifted in the Holy Spirit even from birth. And what I want to key on this story, as we're kind of looking at how does this link to Christmas, the theme of this series is prepare your heart for Christmas. This is the theme of the, the series that we're going to look at this month, because I think it's important that we look at John's Elijah ministry of what he's wanting to do, because before Israel was ready to receive the blessing of Christ himself, the coming of the Messiah, they had to be prepared. And I believe in my heart that God wants to do a work in your life today through this season, the season that's like unlike any other throughout the year. He wants to do a work in your life, but before you can reap the blessings of the coming of Jesus, the coming of Christmas, you too need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. And like I said, Jesus doesn't just explode on the scene. The people had to be prepared. John's ministry had to unfold. And this Elijah prophet, this Elijah ministry had to be accomplished. So the first thing I want to look at as we look at what John was supposed to accomplish here in the earth leading up to the coming of the Messiah and the revelation of Jesus is his ministry was really twofold. Number one, he was to prepare the people for the Messiah's blessing. The coming of Jesus would bring a blessing. And if we look at Luke 1, 17, it says, He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He'll prepare them for the coming of the Lord. Why did the people need to pre be prepared? Why couldn't Jesus just come? Well, the prophet Malachi tells us in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, we just read this a second ago. He says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land 
with a curse. If the people were not prepared, they would miss the blessing of the Messiah and in turn be cursed. They would not receive the blessing, but they would be cursed. And what we need to understand as the people of God and as we look at Scripture is what is not blessed by God is cursed by God. What is not blessed by God is cursed by God. This is why we study the Scripture to see what God blesses. This is why we hold to a traditional view of marriage and see how marriage is between one man and one woman an eternal covenant forever. This is what God blesses. Anything outside of that has a curse, has a curse. This is why we look at our finances and why we seek to honor God in our finances because when we don't put God first in our finances and follow what he would desire for us, we don't have a blessing on our finances. The Bible says that the devourer is given permission to come and wreak havoc in our finances. Anything that is not blessed by God is thus cursed by God. So anything that God isn't blessing is under a curse. And the thing about a curse is that anything that is cursed, Satan, our enemy, has free reign to destroy. Anything that is not blessed has a curse, and Satan has free reign to touch it. And we know what Satan's goal is. It is to steal, kill, and destroy. It is to destroy everything God intends to do in your life. So we desire to be blessed because that keeps the enemy from being able to touch our lives and the different areas that we have. Now think about this. You, you probably have had similar circumstances. Anybody have big family gatherings at Christmas? Anybody? Yeah? Have you had those family gatherings where maybe a couple of siblings really weren't getting along together? Do those family gatherings end up peaceful and peachy? Or is there like an awkward tension and maybe someone ends up storming off and says, I'm never going to talk to you again. I don't care what you got. You know, there, there's this Jerry Springer stuff that happens in, in, in the Christmas time. You're like, woo, yeah, Merry Christmas. You know, you know, it's just sometimes these things happen because there is something in the way of the blessing that God wants to pour out. Those, those events don't work out because there's unforgiveness and bitterness that are in the way of what God wants to bless. And so rather than under a Christmas blessing, it's under a Christmas curse. And what God intended for his people, the nation of Israel, to experience with the coming of the Lord was not cursing, it was blessing. If we look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, after he announces the forerunner and the coming of the Messiah... And the prophet Malachi says this. He says, you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. That there's healing that God intended to bring with the coming of Jesus. He says, you'll go free. He'll set the captives free. He'll loosen the chains of those who are in bondage, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You see, God doesn't intend for any of his people to be under a curse, for any of his children to be under a curse. There is healing in his wings. There is blessing in his hands. And his desire for your life is not that the enemy would have free reign and be able to touch every area. No, his desire for your life is that you would stop the enemy under your feet and crush his head. That's God's desire. But could it be 
That God has many blessings he wants to pour out in our nation, in our communities, even into our families, especially during this holiday season as we near Christmas. But we're missing it because we're not prepared to receive our king. God wanted to prepare the people to receive what he was ready to pour out. And this is why he sent Elijah. This is why he sent John the Baptist. The second thing is that he didn't just want to prepare the people. He wanted to turn their hearts. He wanted to turn their hearts. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, again, it says, he'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts to the fathers and to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. He will turn the hearts. Somebody say, turn their hearts. Matter of fact, here's participation time. Tap your neighbor and tell them, God wants to turn your heart. God wants to turn your heart. This is why he sent John. He sent John to turn the hearts of the people. And if you look at the, the, the core of what he wanted to do, is he wanted to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and from the children to the fathers. He wanted to restore families. He wanted to restore the brokenness that happens in a family. One of the things that God despises more than anything else is discord in a family. And not just in a church family, but in a traditional family. In Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19, uh, Solomon writes this, that there are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord into a family. God hates a family in discord, and he hates a person who sows discord into the family. And there are many reasons why that is. The family is a living picture of God himself. God is a trinity. We understand he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons equal one God. And the marriage family the, between a husband and wife united in the Spirit mirror that Trinitarian relationship of the divine family. As a husband and wife come together through the Spirit, we symbolize in marriage the very picture of God, the image of God himself. And what God desires more than anything else out of a family is godly offspring. So every child you have that you raise up to honor the Lord is a picture of every person who is born again and adopted into the family of God who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that become children of God. The family depicts the very gospel we preach each and every day. The family is a vital picture also of how God wants to reveal himself to the world. When we look at marriage today, the reason why divorce is such an issue in, in the Christian world, in the Christian life, isn't because God just doesn't understand the pain of relationships. No, it's because God would never divorce his bride. God will never say to you, I don't want you anymore. You're just too much for me to handle. The word says God will never leave you or forsake you, which means he's not going anywhere and he will never think anything less of you. He will only think good things towards you. No matter how messed up you are, we're all messed up. 
Marriage symbolizes that covenant relationship between Jesus and his bride, between God and his people. This, is, this represents who God is. And so when something comes in between that and the enemy is able to bring you know, sin and baggage and stuff that divides and causes harm and pain in a marriage and people separate, it is the exact opposite of what God wills for the family. It's the opposite of what he wants to see in the world because it is a picture, it is a testimony of who God is and what his purpose is for our lives. When the family is divided or there's discord in a family, it disfigures the beauty that God created in the family. And the ministry of John was to reunite families back together, to bring fellowship with fathers and sons, with mothers and daughters, extended family and close family alike. You know, I'm reminded of the movie Home Alone. We watched that movie not too long ago. Uh, we've been watching all sorts of Christmas movies, but if you remember the movie, the first Home Alone movie was the best one, I think. But uh, Kevin McAllister's this little kid, has many brothers and sisters. They're getting ready to take a trip to Paris to visit an aunt and uncle. And there's some things that happen, and Kevin feels like everyone hates him, nobody likes him, he's overlooked, he's not taken seriously. And he doesn't have a forgiving heart, he becomes very bitter. And so he starts acting out. He starts lashing out and fighting and causing problems. And that just creates more havoc in his family. And he finally gets in kind of into this argument with his mom. And he basically wishes that she was dead. He wishes that his whole family was dead. He never wants to see him again. And she sends him up to his room to sleep. And I think that if God were in the story, I don't think he's in the story, but if he were, I think God was the one that answers his request. Because when he wakes up, wakes up in the morning, his family is nowhere to be found. They overslept, they, the power went out, they overslept, they all bolted to the, the airport, they miscounted heads, and they all took off to Paris and left him home alone. And he is left to fend for himself and even defend his home against two dim-witted crooks that I don't know why they didn't learn, but it's fun to watch how moronic they are. But uh, at the end of the movie, whenever the crooks are arrested and taken off, you know, mom finally gets back to the house. They, they meet in the front entrance, and they're, they're talking, and Kevin apologizes for his attitude. She apologizes for her attitude, and they seem to mend what was broken. The rest of the family comes in, and at the end, it just seems like their house is filled with joy. All the disagreements, all of those things were just done away with, and they were able to have a Merry Christmas. But you see, he didn't have to go through that situation. We don't have to often go through the very things that we struggle through in our relationships, in our families, because what we perceive as an offense can actually lead us astray to do the very thing that leads to discord in, a, in our family. When we become offended and we take offense and we hold on to these things and we say, well, I can't deal with you anymore because of X, Y, and Z, we hold on to those offenses. It leads to discord in the family because it produces within us the very opposite of what we actually want. We want love. We want unity. We want respect. We want fellowship. But when we allow unforgiveness to remain in our hearts, we often then, because of the disgruntled nature of our spirit, become the offender after we have been offended. And by the way, bitterness pours out of our lives 
it is never a good thing. Because we become the ones sowing discord. The very thing God says that he hates. We may feel justified because of the offense. We may feel, man, I can't stand them anymore. But we become the one that God hates. Not literally, but figuratively. Something we have to realize is that the person that sows discord in the family creates disunity in the family. And it's not always someone outside the family that sows discord. You could be the very one creating division in your family through attitudes of unforgiveness and bitterness. By holding on to past hurts and grudges, you're preventing God to bring the healing that he desires to bring into your lives. And in turn, it keeps your relationships and even your families under a curse where the devil is free to reign. Bitterness is a wicked root that leads to hatred in the heart. It never prospers anything good. In John 3, 14 and 15, John, 1 John, he writes this. This is the Apostle John. He says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves we've passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a what? A murderer at heart. If we allow unforgiveness and bitterness to continue within us to the point that we live in hatred towards, and we don't have to even say we hate somebody, it comes out just by our attitude and our actions sometimes. If we allow hatred to be the motivating factor in our heart, the Bible says, John says, through the Holy Spirit, we've become a murderer. And then he says, you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. It's the opposite of who God wants us to be. Elsewhere, he says, how can we say we love God who we can't see if we hate another brother or sister who we can see? Doesn't make any sense. And the reason why I think many Christmases come and go and why we remain the same, we go unaffected, why families still continue to drown in drama and barely are able to fellowship at family gatherings or why maybe we still just can't find joy in the season like we want to and maybe find ourselves losing the Christmas spirit is because God is waiting for us to turn our hearts away from pride, away from greed, away from selfishness, bitterness, and unforgiveness, and to turn our hearts toward him in preparation for the healing he wants to pour out in our lives and into our families, or the healing he wants to maybe come to your school, amongst your friends, or your workplace, amongst your coworkers. You know, I've heard it and I've said it before that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick doesn't make any sense. It only affects you. You can hold on to the pain for as long as you want, but you will be the only one that is destroyed. Unforgiveness leads to a bitterly cursed life, but that is not what God desires. God desires to bring blessing, to not divide, but restore your family, to reconnect your fellowship with one another and with himself to turn your rebellious attitudes into hearts or hearts that are yearning for wisdom through humility. And sometimes it's just our pride that makes us deaf to wisdom, that makes us unteachable or unwilling to learn, to listen, 
We're bound by strongholds of pain and anger because of these offenses that keep us held captive by unforgiveness and bitterness. But today, I believe God wants to do a work in our lives, in your life and in my life, in your family and in my family. But before he makes a move, your heart has to be ready to receive it. Listen again to the prophet Isaiah as he speaks of the forerunner, this one who would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, that would prepare the nation of Israel for the Christmas blessing and let the message of Elijah pierce through the defensive walls of your heart today. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Here's what John was preaching. Here's what Elijah would come and declare. Here's how God is telling the nation to be prepared. In verse 3, it says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Now, I believe that he's speaking this to every heart today. Everyone here at some point and sometime has been offended. We've had been at odds with someone. At some point, maybe you're here today and there's somebody in your life right now, in your family, maybe an extended relationship, maybe a coworker or a boss, somebody you're at odds with that you're just, you're just unhappy with. I believe God wants to do a work in your life and in that relationship today. And the message that we need to catch is what the forerunner, the Elijah, John the Baptist was declaring. And this is what he said. He said, clear the way through the wilderness. And I believe it's the wilderness of your heart. Clear the way through the wilderness of your heart. He says, make a straight highway through the wasteland. And I believe that's your embittered soul. The places that are torn upside down, clear away and give God access to your heart right now where you are in the midst of pain and sorrow. Give God access to your heart. He says, fill in the valleys. This is the places of discouragement, the many trials and struggles you've been wading through. This is the place that you need to now fill in with God's promises that if you trust God, healing's going to come. If you trust God, then you're going to receive a breakthrough in that relationship, in that situation. If you trust the Lord, you're going to see the very fulfillment of the promises you've been longing for. Fill the valleys in with his promises. Level the mountains and hills. The mountains and hills are the walls of defensiveness you've been building around your heart from the years of pain, where you're keeping people at a distance so that no one else can come in and hurt you. Break down those walls, those mountains and hills, and allow God a straight shot to the very intimate places of your heart. He says, straighten out the curves. I believe he's telling us to get rid of the excuses and the lies that we've believed that have given us justifications of holding on to unforgiveness and pain. Smooth out the rough places or the ungodly attitudes and behaviors that we've been walking in as a result of this pain that has been built up in our hearts. And choose today to turn your heart to Jesus to look to the coming of Christ in the promise that when he comes, he's going to make all things new. Turn your heart to the Lord. Look what the prophet says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. When you turn your heart again, when you level the mountains, make a path through the wilderness, he says, then the glory will be revealed. The glory of the Lord will be revealed 
and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. God desires to pour out a blessing, a Christmas blessing on your life, to heal the broken areas of your life, and to bless your life in a way that will make people take notice. They'll say, it is undeniable that God has blessed your life, making your story a testimony of God's great glory. And the question is, today, as we close, Will you respond to the Elijah call? Will you respond to John's message? Will you respond to the voice crying out into the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord? Will you turn your heart? Let's bow for prayer in this place. Holy Father, thank you, God, for this word. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the promise of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that no matter what we face in this life, the offenses that we have stored up in our heart, God, you have a plan to ease that pain and to bring healing. No matter what's been done to us, how we've been hurt, who has wronged us, God, you intend to turn every pain and turn it into a blessing. And how you plan To do that is by having us release it to you. To lay it down at your feet and give you access to our hearts. So God, I thank you for what you're about to do in this place. For the hearts that are about to receive their healing. God, I thank you for the one in here this morning that was abused when they were a child. That have been struggling with value and with just worth, with purpose, with really if they're worthy of love, God, I just pray for them now, God, that in this moment they would hear the truth, that they are special, that they are valued, that they are beyond measure, uh, just loved by you, God, and that they would trust your heart, and then they would lay that down and say, Father, I forgive that person that hurt me. I no longer hold on to that pain. Come and heal this place in my heart. God, I pray for the marriages in this room, Lord. The marriages that have years of frustration and baggage and hurt and pain. For those that have such a hard time overlooking things that maybe were easy to overlook in the beginning, Lord. I pray, God, today that each one would say, Lord, you have access to my heart. I'm not holding on to this anymore. I'm going to lay it down. God, I pray for the one who doesn't have a relationship with you, who doesn't know that if they were to die today that they would spend eternity with you in heaven. And there's so much fear and doubt and just maybe even built up resentments from things that they've had to go through in their whole life, Lord, that has prevented them from being able to really get to that place where they say, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe. Jesus, you be my Lord and Savior. God, I pray that right now the Holy Spirit would touch their heart. The weight of your presence would fall on them. God, it would be undeniable that they are the one that you're chasing, that right here in this moment, they choose to come forward and kneel down and pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That even today, the Christmas blessing would begin in their lives. 
Lord, I just pray for everyone that's here that we would ask ourselves, who do we need to forgive? And who do we need to seek repentance or forgiveness from? Who have we hurt that we need to seek restoration with and who has hurt us that we need to forgive? And God, that you draw every heart, whatever is going on in their lives, you draw every heart and you'd work miracles among us in the name of Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around just for the next few moments. I just challenge each of you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And when you hear from God, you respond by coming forward and allowing us to pray with you. No matter what it is that you're going through, it could be something about the message today or it could just be a burden that's been on your heart for a while now. Whatever it is, you come forward and you allow us to pray the power of God down in your life.